Hey everybody, I want to take a second to tell you about Snagit 2022. I don't have time to go into all the details about Snagit 2022, but it has a variety of options for fast and easy to use video creation. It's got new ways to work across devices and platforms with the new cloud library. And your purchase or upgrade includes your first year of maintenance and the newly updated Snagit certification course. With 20 plus videos of Snagit how-tos, certification is a great way to help you speed up your workflows, unlock potential, and get your work done faster. So check out Snagit 2022 today at snagit.com. And now back to the podcast. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, wherever you're watching from, and whenever you're watching this, whether you're watching live or or on the listen to the podcast later on. We're so glad that you're here. We've got another great show. We missed you last week not being officially live. We Hopefully you still enjoyed the content that we shared out. Just as a reminder before we get to our interview with Lee, if you like what you're hearing, go ahead and share it out. You can tag TechSmith or just use hashtag the visual lounge. Or if you're li- liking things a lot so much, you want to send us a letter or tell us what we could do better. You can always email us at the visual lounge at techsmith.com. We'd be happy to hear from you, chat with you about it that way, or just find us on one of the social platforms as well. So let's dive in because, so I have been a fan of Lee LaFever for a long time and I didn't even know Lee for a long time because you know, I saw his videos on, on YouTube and, and about Twitter and about RSS and I was just, we were all blown away from, uh, from them. Now that was a long time ago. I've had the great privilege of meeting Lee, hanging out with Lee at an event at TechSmith that we did a number of years ago. So it's been great to, to, to get back to talking with him. It's kind of picking up with old friends is always good. So with that said, let me introduce you to Lee LaFever. Lee LaFever is the is co-founder of Common Craft and the author of two books, The Art of Explanation and Big Enough. Lee is known as a pioneer, and that's I would agree with that, in the field of explainer videos and has worked with clients like Google, Intel, Lego, Microsoft, Dropbox, and more. And let me just say, if you've never seen his Common Craft videos, his explainer videos, you are missing out. He really started, I, I don't know, maybe we'll ask Lee about this, but he defined I think what became known as explainer videos really created a whole field and industry. So with that said, well, please help me welcome Lee LaFever to the Visual Lounge. Hey, Lee. Hey, Matt. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's great to be here. So, Lee, uh, we, we say a lot of things in our uh, introductions, you know, about people. But is there anything else that you'd want the audience to know before we get going here? Wow. Uh, That's a good question. Yes, actually, um, I am kind of the face of Common Craft. I'm I'm the person who who ends up with uh, on the videos and I I do have my name in the book titles and things like that. But uh, Common Craft is a two person team. And my wife, Sachi, deserves a lot of credit for everything we do. She is basically our CEO, our executive, and I'm more of like the creative director. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Sachi. Well, you know, of all the years that I've known you, Lee, I've never met Sachi, but, you know, maybe we need to have you both on sometime uh, if she's willing, but maybe she's not willing. She likes you being the face. That's the thing. 
<laughs> she likes to she likes to stay behind the scenes. I try. I want her. I think she would be great, but uh, it's her it's her decision, and uh, I don't think she's going to change it. <laughs> yeah, no, to- totally understand it and acceptable. So for those who uh, you know, maybe they've heard of uh, explainer videos. They've heard of maybe they've never heard of Common Craft though. And I know you've been doing a lot of different things, but tell us a little bit what is Common Craft, and then we'll go from there, kind of start broad, kind of work our way down to some more detailed questions. Sure, sure. So Comcraft is a company that makes educational media like videos and visuals that uh, we create and license often to educators and instructional designers through our website via Comcraft membership. Uh, we also do some online courses under the name Explainer Academy that teach explanation skills and video animation skills. Uh, so those are the two big things is video and visual licensing and then courses. So I, I, if I, I mentioned kind of in the introdu- introduction some of the early videos you did. So I, there was RSS in plain English. Was that your first explainer video that you, you ever created? It was. It was. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's a, a, little, a little. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Go. Ahead. No. Please explain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a. Uh, there's a little bit of a story there, which uh, the the viewers might find a little bit interesting. Um, and this was in the sort of early days of social media. RSS was becoming a bigger and bigger thing because it allowed bloggers. It gave bloggers a way for um, their fans to subscribe to their website. So lots of bloggers wanted that. Um, but I was at a conference one time and a tech CEO was asked, what is RSS? And he said, oh, it's, a, it's an XML-based content syndication format. And <laughs> you could just feel the energy in the room go down and people just kind of shrugged their shoulders and we moved on. But it was at that moment where I was like, this is, a free, this is something that's free, it's useful, it, it could be a bigger and bigger thing in the future. There's got to be a way to explain this better so that people can actually adopt this thing because it's going to be one of the real mechanisms of the blogosphere uh, at the time and in the future. Uh, so that was what led to creating that video first. So as far as you know, Lee, what is this, is that one of the first explainer videos out there or were, or was this something like, Oh, you're modeling it after like, are you, are you the godfather of explainer videos? Is that what we're, <laughs> we're de- declaring today? Uh, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't like to claim that, my, claim that myself, but um, I think that we were not necessarily, we weren't inspired by something specific. I think that people have been making videos that explain things for a long time. I mean, people talk about, you know, in, in uh, gra- grade school, making little felt cutouts that kind of were being, you know, animated in their mind. And maybe that was part of our inspiration. But in terms of our specific format of using a whiteboard, using hands and markers and paper cutouts, um, that was an original idea as far as I know. Um, it was actually Sachi's idea to do it that way because I had become frustrated of uh, trying to be the talking head writing on a whiteboard. Uh, at the same time, that didn't work very well. Um, <laughs> So the format of the, the paper cutouts on a whiteboard with hands kind of over the shoulder kind of thing was uh, what became known as Common Craft Style. And uh, we were very early on YouTube. I think it, you know that we, our first video was in 2007. So um, I think that we sort of planted our flag there and, and people responded. And, and since then, um, I think that a lot of people agree that the, the first time they recognized something as an explainer video, it was one of our videos. 
So we'll, well, you won't take the credit for it. We'll give it to you anyway, Lee. You and <laughs> Sachi both. Because uh, it, it really is. It's a, it's amazing. I, you know, and I was working in a sense of, I was making tutorial videos at the time I saw those those early videos. But there, the, there is this difference, right, between a tutorial, which is step-by-step step, versus your explainer, which was really kind of, what is it? Why, why, why should you care about it? It's a little bit, maybe a little yep. bit of marketing. I love that you said that the tech... When that tech executive explained RSS, the energy goes out of the room. And I, I feel like that's still a need today, right? That there's these cool technologies and they're just hard to explain and hard to understand. Yeah, like cryptocurrency, <laughs> Bitcoin. That's the big explanation problem right now. Yeah, what, we're what working on that. We're working a on locker, that. <laughs> right? Like, is it a, a bit locker or something? I don't know what it is. So that's the problem. <laughs> So, so yeah. let me ask you this: In this journey, because I want to, we'll want to talk about some of the things that you've learned along the way about making these. When did you get the clue that, like, this is like explainer videos? Not only did you, because you said you kind of saw this need, but when did you see it being like, oh, this is like a thing that you can, like, we can do, and maybe even start a business around? Yeah, you know, I. Um... I came from being an online community manager from starting in like 1999 to 2003 and just got really into uh, the idea of community on the web. Then that became social media. I became a consultant in 2003, helping people with online communities. And one of the lessons that I learned very quickly was that people might understand at a really basic level what a wiki is or what social networking is or a blog but they didn't really have this bigger picture sort of view of it that would allow them to think strategically about it and, and maybe even be an advocate inside their organization for, for using these things. Uh, and so I started writing blog posts that were meant to explain them for my clients. That I said, hey, I've written this. I'd send them a link. Hopefully this helps. Let's talk about it next time we have a call. And I love doing that. Like there was something about that, that process of writing out an explanation um, that really appealed to me at a really basic level. I think I'm a, a communicator at heart. I really enjoy the process of writing and communicating. Um, so those blog posts actually started to get some traffic on my website. I think it was at, at Common Craft. The Common Craft website started in 2003. Um, so that was my first indication that, wow, there is a need for this kind of communication. And that was just in written form. Uh, this was before YouTube. Um, I did that for a couple of years. And then in 2006, when YouTube uh, was really just, just coming onto the scene, I started experimenting with video. We did some travel videos and things like that. And in early 2007 is when we started to uh, think about making videos to put on YouTube to promote what we were doing at Common Craft. Sachi joined the company at that time in 2007. And um, what's funny about that is for the first few months, we were making videos like RSS in plain English, wikis in plain English, so social networking. And there, there wasn't a business. Like We were getting lots of views and lots of comments and lots of awareness, but there was not an advertising platform on YouTube at the time. There was not licensing. Uh, we, we didn't really have enough content for that anyway. Um, so we very quickly had to figure out, okay, well, we've struck a chord. That's nice. We've, you know, there was some viral success from the videos that was giving us a lot of attention, but how did we turn that into a business was a different thing. And thankfully, businesses started to say, hey, I loved your RSS video. Can you make one for our product? So that was when it became a business, was getting hired to make custom videos 
uh, for companies. Our, our second video ever was for Google. Second custom video was for Google and ex- explained Google Docs in, in 2007. Yeah, Google Docs, who, like ubiquitous now, right? We use it for, I use it all the time. And back then it was a, a novel concept. So, so Lee, yeah. you talked a little bit about, you know, you, that you were already an explainer, a communicator. I, I just want to mention if anyone hasn't seen Lee's book, The Art of Explanation, we'll see if I can get it to focus here. Um, so let's, can we talk about explanation a little bit? We'll, we'll go a little bit broad yeah. here because I think it's, it's, it's been interesting to me as I've gotten to know you a little bit and as we've talked over the years, um, it, you know, it seems like you are, an, you, you said naturally you're an explainer, but that, I think that's, that's awesome for you. A lot of us are not, ex- we don't feel like that's our natural gift. So what's, uh, I guess, what are the components of a good explanation? If we were to start breaking this down, because then we can apply it to, to media, we can buy it, you know, images, video and stuff like that. But just kind of generally, what, how do we break down what makes for good explanations? Sure. I think the first thing is a focus on the specific audience that the explanation is, is designed for. Um, I think it's a little bit like comedy, that uh, jokes don't work just because there's some objective decision about whether something's funny or not. Well, the only thing that matters is what the audience thinks is funny. So with an explanation, an explanation doesn't, doesn't work or not in a vacuum. You've got to consider who the audience is and to what degree they actually understand it or not. Um, an example might be that if you were, if I walked into a conference full of, of physics PhDs who were doing presentations about physics, I might think like, oh God, these explanations are terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> any of this. But the truth is, it's just not for me. Um, so I think that the, a real focus on the audience matters and, and trying to understand what they are likely to understand or sound, what might sound familiar to them. I think this idea of familiarity is really important when you're thinking about the language that you use, because familiar language is what's going to bring people in and, and re- for them to realize that they're going to uh, they're going to learn something. Um, I think setting expectations is really important. Um, I think one of the traps of explanation is when uh, you get concerned that if you are going to explain something that you're going to sound condescending or that you're going to sound that you make, make people feel like that you think you're smarter than them because you can explain it. Um, and that is a very real risk. But I think that can be mitigated by uh, setting an expectation that like there's a variety of, of um, experiences in the room right now or on this email or whatever. So I'm just going to take a couple of minutes and, and talk about this from a very simple standpoint so that we can all start on the same page. Um, a third thing, I think, is uh, building context. Um, a lot of times when we know a subject very clearly, we assume that the audience has that same experience. And, and this is often called the, the curse of knowledge. You know, when we know something very well, uh, it's harder for us to imagine what it's like not to know. So we might just start throwing information out there without context. And sometimes taking a step back, talking about the big picture in the world where this idea lives uh, can be really powerful. I also call that, um, you know, start, start with the forest and then talk about the trees. Um, I can, I can go on, but that's a, that's a, that's a big, good start right there. I think. Well, it's a great start. Uh, one, I love, I, I love that you talk, we talk about audience a lot, right? Like as, as mm-hmm. we talk about creating videos and just how key that is, uh, 
I love and I loved what you said about expectations, right? How do you, um, you know, you you want a level set for everybody that's in the we'll call it in the room, uh, whether mm-hmm. that's virtual, digital, whatever medium you're using. I want to talk about the familiar language for a second, though, Lee, because you know I think, and I I you know I tend to have these interviews and it's like I think broadly about all the people, but then I'm oftentimes it's like it's come back to what I know and I think about like okay, oftentimes in organizations. We use language that's familiar to us. We use things like we we sh- we shorthand everything, abbreviations, acronyms. But like, I'll, and I'll I'll put TechSmith on the spot because I that's the company I work with. You know, we, we often are talking the shorthand and very familiar terms for us. But what mm-hmm. I find is outside of us, the customer has very different language than I have about mm-hmm. video editing or about. Uh, you know, the tools that they use, you know, I call it an, like very formally, this is an, an it's something annotation. They're calling it, you know, it's the arrow, right? So f- for you, because you've worked across a lot of these different, different organizations, videos for different types of groups that maybe you're, you are or not familiar with, what guidance would you give to someone who's saying they're, they want to make a video for an external audience? How do they get familiar or how did they understand what language is going to be approachable and familiar and, and work in those contexts if they're not part of that, that kind of that audience? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the big challenges. Um, and I wish, I wish there were ways that, 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 that would be easier. I think the, <laughs> the best way is to talk to some people in that audience, um, write a script, even if it's a basic one that includes the language that you'd like to use and try to find someone that'll just look it over and have them mark what they, what they think is, is familiar or not. Um, I think that if there are existing explanations, you can look on YouTube and find videos that, uh, have, been popular around that subject and see what kind of language they're using. That can be an indication that you could have some traction around that language. Um, but I also think like just erring on the side of, of trying to keep things um, bigger picture, not getting too far into the details and, and not depending on the video itself to do all the hard work of defining things. I think that um, the sometimes the best use of video is to engage people in an idea, you know, get them to be what I call a customer of that information where they think, oh, this is really cool. I'm really enjoying this. I want to know more. And then to have a companion to the video that says, if you want to dive into this, we've created a glossary of terms that will help you kind of understand um, the bigger picture here in terms of, of the language. So that, those are a couple of things I'd say. Well, I love that idea. I love the idea that, you know, and we talk about this a lot too, that the, the media, like you got to choose the right medium for the right job. And uh, I, I love that you're leading with the video to get them excited about, mm-hmm. about more learning more information. And that's, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's a novel concept to me, but it's like, it's striking me right now. It's like, well, yeah, wow. That's really a powerful idea that, you know, we, we often talk about like your video is your it's your training piece. It's all your, it's all the things, but I love that you're mm-hmm. using it as a kind of a, the here, let's get you excited about this. Oh, by the way, here's, here's the details in this, in, which could be a video. It could be a PDF. Yeah. It could be whatever it might be an in-person meeting. Um, so let's mm-hmm. actually talk about that. I, I was going, I was kind of flipping through the book again. It's been a little while since I looked at it. Um, one of the things you talk about is, is the formats, right? And, for, for you, obviously, we're fans of images and video at TechSmith because of the tools we make. But for you, what are some of the criteria that uh, you dis- you're you using to help you make those decisions about video? And it sounds like 
some of it is like, well, if you want to get people excited about content, but what, what other decisions are you kind of mentally making as you're going to determine the, the format that your information is going to take? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all Common Craft videos are uh, made in the same way. Uh, we started off doing, you know, physical paper cutouts, stop motion animation on a whiteboard. We did it for many years. Um, but, you know, as the tools changed, as our process changed, we moved to a software version of that or a digital version of that. And that helped us uh, be more efficient with same explanation, same voiceover, same artwork. It's just that it happens digitally. Um, so that's one of the one of the format ideas. Like, I think that's probably not specifically what you're talking about. But in all of those cases, um, you know, the, the big goal for us is to make something understandable for uh, a general audience because our videos are often used by educators for kids like middle school all the way up through college and even, um, you know, through, adult, through adulthood. I mean, there's mm-hmm. corporations that use the videos for their customers and, and, and employees. Um, so I think that in the context of making things understandable, I think from the visual side, we try to go for a very low noise presentation. And that means that nothing appears in the frame that's not there for a reason. Um, there's not a lot of things moving around. Things only move uh, when they need to, and they often move according to what's spoken in the voiceover. So like, you know, a character says, oh, you know, this character meets or, you know, opens her laptop and then maybe a laptop slides in. You know, there's these very simple sorts of things uh, because I think that, you know, cognitive load is a problem with a lot of videos. And uh, we try to, to mitigate that with being low noise, with a very um, intentional script. Uh, I think we can talk a little bit about this, but I really believe that explainer videos uh, really live in the script. That's where the real explanation and understanding comes from is the writing. Uh, the, 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 how you present that, uh, I think, should match it and, and accompany, it, accompany it in a way that makes it feel like a natural way to learn. There's sort of some dual coding theory in there, if, if you're familiar with that, which basically is the idea that your brain encodes information, remembers information with a combination of visuals and a voiceover or uh, some sounds that that make it more effective. So I hope that's in the neighborhood of what you're asking about. Yeah, no, that's great. And we'll just uh, cite that the dual coding theory comes, I think Dr. Richard Mayer talks about that in some mm-hmm. of his research, University of San Diego. Uh, yeah, but I, I, so I love that, the, the concept of low noise, right? You're choosing uh, images and animations that are, are timed with what's being said. You're not, you're not like, like it's so easy to get over, kind of overblown here and do too much, I think, because mm-hmm. bells and whistles yeah. are fun. Yeah, I think that um, you know a lot of people that do video um, are very creative people who have artistic ambitions and are, and might be great artists and and really want a high design experience. And there's a there's a lot of great content out there that that does that. And um, I think in the context of explaining um, that there might be a cost to to being to to it being too rich um, on the visual side. Um, something that I'll say about this too is that Common Craft style in terms of the artwork, which we produce all of our own artwork and they all match, and we don't have faces, the characters don't have hands, they don't even have hair. Um, they're very basic, we call it symbols of, of people and things. So this goes back to um, the idea of cognitive load 
And I think that distraction is, is a big deal. And if you think of a symbol of a computer versus a picture of a computer, uh, the symbol, I think, is less distracting because people are not necessarily thinking, ooh, what model is that? Is that my computer? I wonder, wonder if that's an HP or what? Uh, versus a symbol, they just say, okay, computer, I got it, next thing. And, and that's another way that we kind of deal with that distraction idea. Oh, and here I was thinking out your common craft people look like me. No hair. No, just... no, no but, I, but I, I love that, right? Because it's one less thing to get caught up on your, you know, because I've, I've, used, I've used some of your um, uh, images before for things. Yep. And it's, it, they're just, it's so easy because you're like, well, I just need them to do this pose or, or I want it this. And I'm not worried about like, well, is that representing you know, the face, right. You know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I love that simplicity. And I think you're, again, uh, the, I love the tie to the cognitive load, uh, principles that, you know, you're just, you're simplifying, you're removing what is being paid mm -hmm. attention to so that you can pay attention to the things that really matter most. So I think that's, that's really fantastic. Lee, I want to, I want to bring in a question from our audience. Uh, Christy, Codevin is asking, uh, we might ask Christy to clarify just a little bit, but uh, what is the smallest unit of learning for one video? How do you decide? And so I think we can interpret that smallest unit of learning. So like, uh, like I guess when you're thinking about what goes in there, you know, it's easy to put, I think one of the big challenges of the video is it's easy to put too much stuff. So how do you decide kind of how much stuff goes into a video? Um, yeah, um, so I think that we approach that in a couple of different ways. Um, when we write a script for a video, we pay a lot of attention to word count because it's an indication of duration of the video. So our word counts are generally like 450 words or so, which is about two and a half, three minutes, depending on the content. Um, so that's one way we think of uh, it being a constraint is we can only say so many words. <laughs> so within that, um, we try to identify two to three points that we feel like are what the audience should remember once they're done, once the video is over. And we try to um, hit those three points in the video and then at the end summarize by talking about those three points. It's, it's the classic like, you know, tell them what you're going to teach them, teach them, te tell them what you taught or teach them, <laughs> tell them what you taught them. <laughs> That's a right, little bit right. hard to say. Um, but I think that there, it is a risk that you try to do uh, too much. And that really does come from that curse of knowledge that, you know so much and you see all the exceptions and all of the, the, you know, the confusing parts. Uh, and, and for a, a, an explainer video, I think that um, a lot of times the building context process, the talking about the big picture process means that you can't, there's no time to go into that. And you're probably, they're probably not going to remember those details anyway. Yeah, I love that. And so with the, because 450 words is not many at all. Like I've got, I've got a college student who is complaining to me on the regular about uh, how hard it is to w keep it when, within the constraints of short mm -hmm. assignments because he wants to go, because it's easy to write long, uh, long, longer papers. But so in that, so one of the things I know you, you often use, it seems in your, your videos is story. So if we got a 450 word kind of constraint, You've got like one to three points you can make. How are you using story and why is that, why is that still a viable thing? Like it feels like I should be chucking out all the things, but uh, I know it seems like you're always able to work a story in there. So why is that so important? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I think that storytelling, um, 
sometimes has a little bit of, of, of baggage. Uh, I think that when people hear story, they think of a hero's journey and, you know, this fully developed idea um, of someone going through a transition. And I do think the idea of transition um, is really important. But I, I think our approach to storytelling is much simpler. I think that for us, the moment a human is in is in a situation, it becomes a story. You're following this human's change. And for us, the really basic uh, structure is basically meet Bob. Bob has a problem. Bob feels bad. Oh, look, Bob found a solution. Bob feels great. Don't you want to feel like Bob? Um, so that's really the, the structure of it all is just showing a person who is trying to solve a problem, discovering what the solution to that problem is. And maybe that's, you know, for us, it's not often a product. Usually it's by understanding the big picture of something like, oh, now that they see that, now it makes sense why they call it cloud computing or, or whatever it is. Um, that's the sort of reveal. And then the ending is, you know, you can do this too. This is hopefully you've learned along with Bob and you can take that information and use it somehow. So we don't need to know Bob's relationship with his mom or like what his childhood was like or anything like that. <laughs> we just need to know it's a person because if it's a person, then we can identify with that transition. So maybe we'll see a future book, The History of Bob uh, by Lee yeah, Beaver, right? Like, <laughs> Bob's right. backstory. Uh, but, I, but I wonder, Lee, and, I, and you, might not, you might not know, but I, I think what's as you're saying this, what I'm thinking about is that we absolutely don't need to know about Bob, but it does feel like there's some humanization there, right? Like this is a, a problem that all of a sudden maybe I can more relate to, that someone mm -hmm. else yeah. – has a problem I have, right? And it's it's even if it's not a real person, you've you've kind of put it in that persona of like, oh well, oh I guess I'm kind of like Bob. Bob's like, oh Bob's someone normal. That's a pretty and I'm guessing you use pretty common sounding names, so there's a high relationship yeah. there, right? Yeah, there is there is a um, something there that I think might be interesting. You know, early when we first got started uh, doing the videos, I read Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud, and it's a book I recommend to everybody. It's it's such an amazing like dissection of what what it means to make these comics. And, and one of the things that he said that is true with a lot of comics is that the more uh, a drawing of a human face looks like a real person, the harder it is for the audience to empathize with that figure um, because they can very easily say up. Oh, well, that's a that's a man or a woman. I'm I'm not that. Or oh, that person's got a beard. I would never have a beard. That that's not that's not like me. Um, and his big point is like if you look at a smiley face, everybody can identify with a smiley face. It doesn't have any features or any kinds of of really uh, specific things that that mark them as a certain demographic or a certain age or anything like that. Um, and so I think we took that to heart in a lot of the ways that we present people is we want them to be general symbols of people and not a very detailed person because we want the audience to be able to empathize through that person's experience. I love that the idea because I think uh, going back to, you know, you, you mentioned symbols and using symbols. So using kind of that language of symbology and, and not using full mm -hmm. kind of fleshed out people makes so much sense and is really interesting, especially as we think about today and the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, things like that, mm -hmm. that it mm -hmm. provides more access to, to all your, your viewers, learners, whoever your audience is. So let's, let's take a minute. I've got some research I would like to just uh, open up and share with you. If you don't mind, um, we're going to look at here. 
and I just want to get some of your thoughts on it. But before I, before I show you this, so let me get some context for everybody that's watching and for you. Uh, this is a study, we've, we've run it multiple times, 2013, 2016, 2018, and this, again, 2021. Uh, mm -hmm. It's basically asking people their, their preferences around video. So a variety of different preferences. And so they're viewers of video, so we call it the video viewer study. And in this particular question, oh, let me, well, before I get to the question, I should note that this is informational and instructional videos. This is not entertainment videos. So we're not talking okay. Netflix, cat videos, you know, the fun, like, oh, I watched that on YouTube. It's just TikToks. for entertainment. Yeah. TikToks. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we obviously know there can be instructional, informational videos in that sense. But this is, so about 900 people took the survey. The question is this, please select all video elements. So we got a list that keep you interested in and watching instructional or informational videos. So let me just pull that up here so we, everyone can see it. So hopefully we can see that on the screen. I can zoom in a little bit if we need to. Uh, mm -hmm. But really, the, this first one is really interesting to me in the context of our conversation. And they can select more than one of these. So, you know, you got uh, a bunch of people selecting. It's mm -hmm. easy to follow along. So from your perspective, one, first of all, does that make sense to you? And if so, what about that, I think, do you, why do you think that was the most selected? That's a good question. First of all, I love seeing this. Is this publicly available information? <laughs> it is. And I can, I can share the okay. link out with you, but we've also, uh, Jesse, our social media monitor, is, is she, she's awesome. She just dropped it into the link. Uh, so we've got a whole okay. bunch of data here, but... You get the cold yeah, take. No. That's, uh, that's what I like. Fresh, cold take on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I love to see this. Um, no, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I think that it really goes back to that idea of, of the curse of knowledge. And a lot of people have the right intentions in, in making a video, but uh, they're not thinking about the flow of it and, and be able, being able to empathize with the audience enough to make it logical. To me, this easy to follow along is really a reference to it being logical, like that it, the flow makes sense. It's organized in a way that one idea connects to another. And um, that takes practice. It takes writing. It takes preparation. Um, and some people uh, are good at it. And, and some people uh, maybe need to practice a little bit more. Yes. I think, well, I think even if you're pretty good at it, you still, there's always ways to be better, right? So Sure. So, so the another one on here I wanted to talk to you about is the third one. The speaker slash presenter is engaging and knowledgeable. So you've, I think from the beginning, have been the voice of the Common Craft videos. You're, you're, you've got a great voice. Uh, you know, I think you do such a great job. So from your experience, though, and from what you've learned and all the effort and time you spent being the voice, but also learning how to explain things better, what makes... Uh, a speaker, presenter, engaging and seemingly knowledgeable. Because I'm again, you know, I think we talked about you've worked for all these organizations. You're not necessarily the expert. At, you weren't the expert at RSS or or zombies. Mm -hmm. uh, I love mm -hmm. I love your zombie explainer video. But like, so what what kind of the characteristics, especially in explainer videos, do you think people need to to maybe exhibit? Yeah, I mean, I think enthusiasm is infectious. Uh, you know. Um, Sachi is the, sort of the producer on our voiceover. So she's the one that's giving me tips and practice, you know, you know, as I go along. And one of the things, it's sort of a balance where being um, slow, speaking deliberately, I think is really important. Um, I'm not that clear of a speaker in normal conversation, but when I do a voiceover, I try to enunciate very clearly and to speak with enthusiasm and excitement. And I have 
uh, over the years developed my own way of doing it where I don't even have to think about it so much. I just go into script mode and I'm sure that you probably do some of that too. Maybe a lot of the other viewers do. Um, but I think, uh, slowing, especially for an explainer video, uh, slower just makes it feel more consumable and, uh, just easier to understand. Um, you know, I try to use good sound quality. Um, I think that that helps that it makes it feel a little bit more professional. Um, and just talking to people, I think it's not only the voiceover. The voiceover is just the manifestation of the script. And I think writing scripts from a perspective that um, helps people feel like, okay, I, 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 I'm getting this. I can, I'm, 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 this is possible for me to grasp. Um, <laughs> the last thing is, um, you know, I'm from North Carolina originally. And a little bit of a Southern accent, I think, helps a little bit too. It it does, you know. It's like you you haven't you're not full full blown like sound sound like you're deep south, but you've still got just that touch, and I think it's very inviting yeah. and warm. Um, so yeah, I I love that, and I, I I love what you said that you've developed kind of your script voice. Like I I, I often think mm -hmm. about this when we talk about uh, creating videos, and uh, we'll just go back to this view for a second. Is I think about personas, and not not you know not the the end user persona, but like what persona Matt is going to show up today. Right. And mm -hmm. like being able to say like, okay, I know when I'm, and, and this, it's funny because, uh, start of every episode of the visual lounge, I know I, I get to that, that short little countdown before the beginning of the show. And I, I, I can stop. I can pause. Like I can hear that music as it counts down the voiceover and like mm -hmm. it clicks in my brain. Okay. Well, you know, it's just, I've, I've developed an opening. I know how to, how to say that. I know kind of the, the pausing. And, um, so I think it's about developing that persona so that it's easier when you do have to go do these things, but also then, you know, I think it takes a lot of practice because I, I still struggle. Like I get excited and I want to go fast. Uh, but uh, you know, it's like that learning to take the breath, slow down and uh, mm -hmm. go at the engaging pace. So, uh, yeah, it I sounds like good advice. Uh, yeah, thanks. One, one thing I'd add to that is, uh, you know, I've done a little bit of, um, I've been coached a little bit in my public speaking and in my in my voiceovers. And I think that one of the common ideas there is that what sounds weird to you sounds natural to the audience a lot of times. So if you feel unnatural, like I'm going much more slowly than I normally would, <laughs> it feels really weird to do. But for the audience, um, they don't, they First of all, they might not even know the difference of what you're normally like, but that's part of the practice is intentionally slowing down and realizing that even though it feels weird to you, um, it's better for the audience oftentimes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, let's look at one more thing in the study, uh, just because I want to, again, get your, your take and it's about engaging video. So let me just switch back over here. So we just, we did a, we asked people to, you know, tell us what made for an engaging video. And these were the words and that were, you know, we just dumped them in a word cloud based on si si color doesn't matter. Size is mm -hmm. an indicator of how frequently they were. Uh, mm -hmm. We can see that con that conciseness. We can see some interesting, just uh, having you look at it, just I'm looking just for a reaction. If anything's standing out to you or surprising to you. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is again, really interesting. Um, I think concise, I think it's really interesting that concise is big, but short is small. Um, 
that's a, that's an interesting thing. I, I, but I think you know, uh, concision is that the right word? <laughs> yeah, is one of yeah, our sure. big goals is to try to find the way to relate this idea in the most succinct way, uh, and it still be interesting and uh, you know useful. Um, I think innovative is interesting too. Um, that was what was a part of I think our early uh, visibility and success was that we were seen as taking a new approach to presenting information. Um, you know, that doesn't last for that long. So you've got to have other value than that. That's just some, a way to sort of get in the door. Um, engaging is, is obviously a, a big idea. Um, that goes back to what we're talking about, talking about in terms of it, having enthusiasm, excitement, you know, really feeling like there's a real passion there is an, an uh, you know, uh, a thing that people can really latch on to. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for looking at the data with me. We'll make sure I, I'll, I'll get it sent to you so you can uh, you can look through the rest of it. There's some interesting things on link video length and things like that. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get close. We're getting closer and closer to our speed round here. But we have another question from our audience that's a, I think a great. great question. Our friend Garth is asking. Uh, he says, Lee, what is the best and what is the worst explainer video that you've ever seen that you didn't create? And what did you learn from each? So best, worst, and any lessons from them? <laughs> wow. Wow. That is interesting. Um, yeah, the work it's best is a little bit easier because it's, um, I would judge that a, be, a, a good explainer video appeals to a lot of people. It hits a lot of the points that, that maybe is more for a general audience. Um, I think that there are just some great – there's – on YouTube is full of, of great explainer videos. I think the Green Brothers, Vlog Brothers uh, do some great science videos that explain science. There's um, the Kyrgyzstat, I think is what you call it, like these very colorful um, explainers with a, an engaging voiceover. I mean the, the list goes on about the great ones. Um, on the spot, I'm trying to remember a couple of the titles that I've shared a lot in terms of what I think are, are great ones. Um, the, 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 the bad ones are really hard to, uh, really hard to define because it's all about the intent of the explainer. Like, and I have to ask, is that video for me? Um, because if it's not for me, I can't really judge its quality. Um, but I think that there, um, there are just a lot of, uh, a lot of examples out there. Unfortunately, a lot of them do seem like they're from, from technical, uh, technical backgrounds where um, it's obvious that either it's not for me or they are talking directly to a specific and defined audience that has very, that has a lot of expertise. Um, yeah. I don't, it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer. It, yeah. It's to be, to be fair. Like I don't remember the, a lot of the, I tend to forget the bad ones, right? Like I'm just like, well, yeah. no, that wasn't for me or that wasn't good. But I guess mm -hmm. as, as you think about, cause as you've, you've, you know, we're there at the very beginning. You've probably seen the evolution of a lot of explainer videos. Do you see things like uh, from maybe it's even clients that you're working with are coming to you? Like, are there any common mistakes? And maybe we've already talked a lot about most of them, but like top three kind of like, just watch out for X, Y, and Z and, and you'll be in a much better position for making explainer videos. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that happens, especially with organizations is there's, they sort of conflate marketing with explaining and, and th there is a fine line i think that, that that a lot of advertisements on tv are great explanations in terms of being succinct and directed toward an audience um but sometimes they call things an explainer when really it's really just an advertisement or really just marketing 
and that if, if, if their intent is to create an explainer video, then I think that the focus more than anything needs to be on understanding, like helping people understand something new. And sometimes when there's a really strong marketing message, that doesn't feel right to the to the viewer. It's like you're selling to me. Like I thought this was going to be something that I was going to learn from. And obviously you just really want me to buy something. Um, so there's that. Um I think just not having a handle again on that idea of the language that you use and the familiarity, uh, which I think for a lot of organizations really comes down to their uh, customer research, really, really understanding uh, their customers' needs, their current level of understanding of, and what's what they're currently stumbling on in terms of, of understanding their products. Um, if you, it depends on also who you ask in the organization to work on it. If um, you know some of the people who know the most about the product might find it the hardest to explain it because they know so much. Whereas someone comes in from the outside or someone in marketing that has a talent for it might be able to take it in a direction that they didn't expect. Yeah. Well, well, all very great things to watch out for, and I, I love that. So I know uh, I've been guilty of ex- trying to explain things that are much different level and someone's like, Oh, you mean this? I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, no, I know too much about it. (laughs) That's the problem. Sure. So, okay. We're going to, before we go into our speed round, Lee, which are just for everyone that maybe hasn't listened to or hasn't seen the show before, those are going to be fast kind of paced, not meant to be long answers. But before we do that, where can people find you? And is there anything they should be aware of that you're doing coming up? Sure. Uh, so we talked about common craft, uh, that's at commoncraft.com. Uh, everything I do outside of Common Craft happens on LeeLefever.com. Uh, there you'll find my books and my blog. I, I blog uh, at least once a week and have for a long time. There's also a newsletter that I do every week that's a, a very personal newsletter. If you really want to get to know me, the newsletter's the thing. Um, my big project right now is something called The Livable House. Um, over the last few years, uh, Sachi and I designed and worked with pros to to build a house. And I really found that there weren't a lot of resources for people who uh, had plans to build a house. And I want to create a resource that, that helps them understand the entire process. So that's at thelivablehouse.com. All right. Sounds good. Everybody go check out Lee's stuff. Uh, with that said, I think it's time, Lee. This is, this is my, my, one of my favorite times of the show. Let's go into our speed round. I'm, I'm going to, right out of the gate, I'm probably going to break one of the cardinal rules of speed round and ask you a question that's going to take some explanation, but please tell us about the 19 armed starfish. <laughs> sure. What, how, what, t- okay. For, so f- maybe give some context, Lee. I'll just, I'll just put it out there. You can give the context. Sure. So I live off the coast of Washington state uh, at a place called Orcas Island. And we uh, have Dungeness crab in the waters around the island, and we spend the summers crab fishing. And we have pots that we put on the bottom of the, the sea that get crab. And uh, this summer, we started to catch a different creature for the first time, and it's something called a sunflower sea star, which is actually critically endangered. So it was kind of a, uh, a treat uh, to be able to see one, and we very quickly put it back in, but not after I took not before I took a photo of it. And that photo has been a lot of places and I can, I can talk more about that if you'd like. Well, I'm going to, if I, you don't mind, I'm just going to bring up your blog. Yeah. And, and there yeah. we, there we so go. I, 
I took a photo. Yeah, they're kind of crazy looking things. Um, but I took the photo and then, you know, posted it on Instagram and stuff. But then I thought Reddit might find it interesting. And the photo ended up making it to the, the front page of, of Reddit. Um, and then because of that, uh, uh, someone wrote about licensing it to news organizations. And a few days later, it was on the Fox News website and the New York Post website. Uh, so I call it the probably the most um, the most famous sea star, uh, at least in the Salish Sea, which is the area around us, uh, because the, the Reddit post alone got uh, over three million views. Wow, that's incredible. Well, what a cool thing to, to find. Now, my co- I was telling my coworkers about this and they were very fascinated. So just out of care, is it like this big? Is it how big is this thing? Oh, yeah, it was like probably this big. I mean, okay. I'll put it around my head, like <laughs> some so context it's, it's here. Good size. And, and, yeah, it's, and, like, it's like a Frisbee sized. Frisbee sized. Okay. Well, awesome. Uh, so let me, next question, because we spent so much time. I, I, I could talk about that for all day, but we're not going to. So you've obviously made a lot of Common Craft videos. Uh, you and Sachi have done that. What has been the favorite one you've, you've ever created? <laughs> you know, the zombies one is always one of my favorites. It's not a very serious one, but it is uh, a fun one. And it has some comedy in there. And, and that's uh, something we enjoy doing, but haven't done since. So I would like to do more. Um, in terms of the videos that I think um, are some of our best work, um, you know, we decided to explain blockchain in a very general, for a very general audience a couple of years ago. And that was one of our favorites because it, it's such a hard explanation problem. And there's a whole lot more to say about that. Uh, but that's been uh, one of my favorites. Uh, some of the early ones uh, have a, a, a place in my heart. I think wikis in plain English is one that I really like a lot because we were just experimenting and trying lots of crazy things that we didn't do for, for much longer. Like, you know, me physically blowing pieces of paper off the whiteboard and, and things like that <laughs> that uh, were, were fun. And that continues to be one of our most popular videos so many years later. Yeah. Oh, well, I love the practical effects, right? Get the things to yeah. blow away. So Lee, in terms of all the work that you do, what's, where do you turn for inspiration? Wow, that's a good question. Um, gosh, I, I read... I read quite a bit. I, you know, my, my other book is called, this is just an example, but when I'm about to prepare for a big project, like writing big enough, which is a book about the common craft story and being a small company. Um, I read a lot of memoirs, uh, like Bruce Springsteen and people like that to get a, a, some, some sort of like foundation for how, how these people approach this process. Um, in terms of explanation, um, there's not specific things that I, that, that I do, um, I'm just naturally drawn to trying to figure things out. And it's part of what motivates me and what I love about the process is that, um, you know, I, the way that my brain works, I think that I have to work a little bit harder than some people to understand things. Like I need to work at it a little bit more and explainer videos give me a chance to, to do that. And I find that really inspiring. Oh, well, now we're going to go to a whole different light profile here. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. that, that's, that's it. Actually, this looks pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love that. I, I, I always learn a ton whenever I'm having to create a video about something, especially if, I, if it's not something I'm in, already know about. So mm-hmm. I have to work a little harder at it, which I like. Okay. Last question for you, Lee. This by far and away is the one that everyone tells us is the hardest question. So just prepare yourself. What's okay. a question you'd like to ask me to so turn the tables here? Anything you want to ask? Hmm. Gosh, that is a, that is a tough one. 
Um, Mostly because I'm not that interesting and no one cares, but you know, we like to ask it anyway. <laughs> what, uh, what is the hardest question that anybody's asked you? This one right now. I, I, I don't remember. What, so, so here's the truth about the this. I don't know if, 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 you're, if you're, anyone else is like this, but maybe you're like this. I, I get up to present or I get up to talk. I do, I do the live stream every week. And then someone will say like, well, how'd it go? What, you know, what'd you, what'd you say? What was, and I'm like, I have no idea. You know, you yeah. almost get into that persona and autopilot and I really just don't remember. Like, and so, yeah, yeah. you know, we've done, I think we're close to pushing 80 episodes. We haven't asked this question for 80 episodes, but it's been uh, probably the last 20 or 30. So yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I've, got, so, I've got one. This is, this is one. So what is your hair care regimen? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so let me just tell you, I went to my barber this morning and I, I did this to myself, uh, a, yeah. little, a little moisturizer up here and, and that's about it. So nice. nice. Wash, so wash. I, I, I do have a really a more serious question that I think might be interesting. Um, so your, your video is very clear. Um, tell me about your camera setup and like, uh, what, what gives you that nice depth of field? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great appropriate question for something called the Visual Lounge. So I am using a Sony A6400. So it's a uh, DSLR camera with a mirrorless lens system. And really, okay. the, and this is, everyone asks, because well, they like the depth of field, right? So I get this really kind of mm -hmm. nice blur back here. And it's really the lens itself that does that. It's a, because it's a mirrorless camera, it uses a, a little bit smaller footprint. So it's a 16 millimeter lens. And Sony's, okay. I found, um, I've, I've used Canon, we've used some uh, Panasonic's at, at, in the office, and I've just found it's got really good uh, auto focus for faces. Like you mm -hmm. can say, I can put mm -hmm. like other things in, and it's as long as yeah. my face is somewhat present, it's still keeping focus. So I think that's yeah. really the the thing is the lens is just itself has that depth of field, and the 16 millimeter is it's it can be close enough. And yeah. with, you know, and this isn't that deep, right? Like I can, I can touch the wall you know, I can touch sure. the lights sure. or whatever. And so that's, that's the secret to that. Now, yeah, yeah. what I'm noticing is that a lot of people have smartphones. You can hook up your smartphone as a camera uh -huh. and they're getting better. And, but what mm. Apple is doing, if you ever use like their portrait mode or something like that, they're applying mm -hmm. it in a kind of algorithmic fashion or, you know, using technology versus sure. the, le the lenses yeah. aren't actually capable of doing it, but that's my setup. And I've got a nice, you know, arm and the lights. Yeah. I always tell people lights matter, right? As we've seen with your yeah. the different degrees <laughs> of lighting with your picture, it, it changes the, what the camera does. Uh, and so sure. that it all matters. It kind of all plays together. So that's, that's my answer. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Well, I aspire to that quality. Well, uh, you know, a little budget and, uh, you can, you can, you can definitely, anyone can get this. It's not that, yeah, not, sure. not, not that difficult. Uh, I will say yeah. the other thing that's really important is, uh, I have an HDMI cable running out of the camera and it uses, uh, I know you are familiar with Elgato as a company. They make a little four cam or four K cam. Uh, it's like a US, it looks like a USB stick that, uh, HDMI goes into and that just plugs oh, okay. directly into, I've, I've got a little. Thing that plugs, you know, so I can have multiple ports on my Mac since they don't have a lot of ports anymore. Uh, but that's that yeah. gives that high quality. So really, I'm getting a 4K quality out out of the camera. Uh, it gets mm -hmm. degraded a little bit because we stream at 1920 uh, size. So there's a few thing pieces and parts moving there. But I, you know, it's the nice thing is if you're going to do a lot of video, you want that clarity. It's it's an investment, but you know, mm -hmm. it's one that I hope lasts for a long time. I don't have to invest anytime soon. So yeah, well, it's great.
Well, thanks. That's there. Now we now we can make a, an explainer video on how to get clear video with depth of field. <laughs> yeah, right? there you go. <laughs> so, well, Lee, thank you so much for joining me today. You know, I just want to remind everybody, Lee's got several books, but Art of Explanation is applicable to what we talked about today. You can check that out on wherever you find awesome books, particularly on Amazon. I know that's where I found it uh, last when I looked, but go check out other, Lee's other stuff. If you like the Common Craft look, you can also go get the common craft artifacts, the the art, the and use it in your own yep. explainer video. Do that because those and a little secret for everybody: if you're using like PowerPoint and Camtasia, they work really well together. Or even just directly in Camtasia, you can bring those in and make your own common craft style videos. Right? That's right. That's right. So, so. well, Lee, thank you again uh, for being with us. Before we, we take off today, just want to remind everybody, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. We, we'd love you, to, if you find this valuable, to let your friends and family know. Let, let other people know that you think will learn from things that we're talking about here on the show. Next week, if you like creating videos, we've got a master of video creation. His name is Sean Cannell. And if you don't know that name, you should. He's got over a million subscribers on YouTube. He makes fantastic videos about making video. He's got lots to teach. And I'll just tell you, the, the whole camera setup, guess who I learned it from? I learned it from watching Sean's videos. So join us next week. We'll be back at our normal time. Visual Lounge will be on all the platforms we stream to. Or if you miss it, you can catch us up, uh, catch up on it later with us, including on the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. So what we do hope you do today, though, is take a little bit of time. Whatever you're trying to do, make better explainer videos, make clear, get clearer video, learn how to screencast, whatever it might be. We hope you take a little bit of time to level up every single day. Till next time, we'll see you later. <laughs>